Hello, my name is uh, Antoine Dinswan and I'm one of the two chief editors of the uh, European Respedition Journal. Mm. So for this month, uh, that is the August month, uh, we uh, are very pleased to have Professor Michael Porte from the Royal Brompton Hospital in London commenting on a paper from a group of authors uh, from Canada uh, publishing on the role of uh, dynamic hyperinflation in uh, exercise in patients with COPD. So, uh, Michael, good morning. Um, um, we, we, we think that uh, we know uh, everything or almost everything about uh, the role of dynamic hyperinflation. So what does this paper uh, bring uh, to the readers and what are the, the new and probably challenging messages that you can, you can share with us? Uh, Antoine, thank you. Um, th this, is, um, this, I think, is a very important publication and it's um, a publication that I think will become more important with time. And uh, I think the first thing to say is that uh, Dennis O'Donnell's group are to be greatly congratulated for uh, challenging their own hypothesis. It becomes, it, it's a very big investigator, if you like, who's willing to do that. Uh, so I, 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 first of all, applaud their scientific integrity and courage. What, um, what they did here was they took this basic paradigm of patients with COPD walking. And when patients with COPD walk, as Antoine, all of our readership know, uh, on the whole, they become breathless. Um, and it's tempting to assume that things that go with that are causing the breathlessness. So just to give you a very simple example, when patients with COPD walk, it's likely that their respiratory rate will go up. So if you have a situation where you have the patient with COPD walking and the respiratory rate rising, it's, it's uh, intellectually sort of easy to make the uh, statement that the rising respiratory rate is driving the breathlessness. Uh, but, uh, of course, what's very important is to know that some of these things are epiphenomena. So lots of other things are also going on when the patient walks. So the heart rate may be going up, the tidal volume may be rising, uh, the patient may become sweaty. All kinds of things could be happening. And the automatic assumption that just that's because something happens, uh, it, that it's causing the breathlessness is... Um, is, is a bit easy, and that's the great sort of intellectual leap, if you like, that Dennis O'Donnell's team made. The, th that, that can be ex extended by, uh, the, the, the observation that treatment changes things. So if you have a patient with COPD who walks and give, let's say, a bronchodilator, and they become less breathless, it's tempting to say that something that gets better when you give the bronchodilator again, is driving the breathlessness. So to give a simple example, you give a bronchodilator, the patient walks, the respiratory rate doesn't rise quite as fast, and you say, okay, well, the bronchodilator has improved the respiratory rate. But again, that's an intellectually easy assumption. And so where where Dennis O'Donnell's team made progress with this paper was they, number one, over many years, developed the expertise to measure lung volumes uh, reliably in patients while they were walking. And they uh, were able to use this technical expertise to, to do much larger studies than people have done before, and there's no question that Dennis O'Donnell's team is the world leader in this in this area. Mm -hmm. They then uh, addressed very specifically this question of dynamic hyperinflation, and mm -hmm. dynamic hyperinflation is a phenomenon where the end expiratory lung volume rises with exercise. And looking back at their cohort, they found that uh, in most patients, and this is a well-described phenomena, the end expiratory lung volume 
uh, rose. But in about a quarter of the patients of their cohort who were exercising, the end expiratory lung volume didn't rise so much. So they were able to find a group of what they termed non-hyperinflators. Mm-hmm. And then by going to the rest of the group, they were able to match them with a group of hyperinflators. Uh, and what was interesting when they compared the progression of breathlessness in these two uh, groups of patients was that they found that the breathlessness, in fact, in this carefully controlled study, didn't follow the rise in end expiratory lung volume, but rather it followed the rise in end inspiratory lung volume, uh, rather suggesting that the end expiratory lung volume change was not driving the breathlessness. And uh, it's really a, a remarkable achievement to have a, a pool of sufficiently good data to be able to make that uh, observation. And I think in terms of practical terms, it means that we need to go back to look at some of our assumptions about breathlessness in COPD, uh, think about other possible things that could be related, and we probably don't have time in this podcast to think what they might be, and, you know, to design big enough and good enough studies to try and answer the same question. So this was this is why I, I like the paper, really. Yeah, sure. Sure, and I think that. Uh, and what? What are? Is there any uh, therapeutic implication from these observations uh, from these? Well, I guess I guess the really important take-home message is that we should be a, a bit cautious about recommending therapeutic interventions on the basis of change in hyperinflation and a, n- a number of things that we believe to be helpful. So, different bronchodilators, or for example, high-intensity oxygen have been recommended on the basis that they improve dynamic hyperinflation. And, of course, it's always better to improve dynamic hyperinflation than worsen it. But the message I got from this is that there's not going to be an automatic knock-on to reduced breathlessness uh, and that we need to to think of different ways of measuring breathlessness. Obviously, the simplest way is to ask the patient, but there are some other emerging techniques. And in an editorial which accompanies this paper uh, that I wrote with Professor Lowe, uh, we I think we touched on the role of measuring neural drive more precisely. and that, that, But that's just one of many options that may be helpful. But what, what is clear is that, you know, Antoine, if you come to me with a new drug and you say, well, this improves dynamic hyperinflation, it's not axiomatic to me that that's going to improve breathlessness. I'd rather, I'd rather hear about the breathlessness itself, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and talking, talking about uh, the editorial you wrote with Professor Liu, uh, in that editorial you have uh, started by uh, mentioning uh, the, uh, the work done by uh, Dr. Ronald Christie. So just imagine that uh, he's still there with us. What uh, do you think he would say to uh, these uh, uh, compatriots that's a very fair question. It's uh, I, I love going back to the original um, records. Uh, these original physiologists were the really the true the true pioneers. And what 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 I find interesting when you go back in history is that a lot of these guys realised what was going on. And I, you're right, um, Antoine. We shared a couple of quotes from Ronald Christie's paper. Uh, in, in the editorial, and the, the paper itself bears rereading. But what I think has changed, and the sort of the leap that's been made, is that he was able to study one or two patients with great difficulty and at great risk. And in fact, if you look at the papers, some 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 discomfort to the patient. Uh, but but where the, where you know modern physiology has gone is that it's 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 able to make these measurements in a large number of patients very reproducibly, and that's that sounds straightforward, but it's actually a remarkable achievement. Yes, sure. 
Okay, well, thank you very much. So I think that what, what is important also for the readers to realize that it, it is always uh, important for all of us to, to look back of what we have done because uh, once the results are published, so they are there, but they are still there to, 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 for us to re-examine, uh, to revisit those, those uh, results. And uh, this paper that will be uh, published in the August issue of the RJ is one remarkable example uh, uh, for all of us to to uh, to remind us on, on on this important thing. I think that's exactly right. You have to keep you have to keep questioning your ideas. The uh, yeah. you know to keep challenging the robustness of one's hypothesis, and that's a very special achievement for a group of investigators. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you very much, uh, Michael, for sharing your thoughts with us on this on this idea and on this paper. So that was uh, uh, Antoine Dinswan from Paris and Michael Porky from London commenting on the paper by Gennett et al. that will be published in the August issue of the European Rescue Journal. Thank you, Michael. Thank you, Antoine.